uh, last week we talked about the history of English and tried to uh, explain some of the uh, strange things about English in terms of the historical development of, of the language. We have a few things left over from last class that, uh, that we want to cover today. Uh, some, uh, some questions that came up and also wanted to, uh, uh, to do an exercise on the, on the vowel shift. But uh, rather than start with that, I'm going to leave that till after the break. So what we'll do is, uh, in the first half, we'll, we'll cover word formation, the subject in uh, chapter three. And uh, uh, at the end of the break, we'll do a quiz. While, you, while you're taking quiz two, I'll hand you back quiz one. And uh, then after the break, we'll come back and go over whatever needs to be gone over from chapter two and, and whatever else, okay? Good, so let's see when, it, uh, we can start whenever. It's okay, it's, okay. it's all right. <clears throat> um, for the quizzes, what did I, let's see. Um, man, I hope I brought, I hope I brought, I can't believe this. I can't believe that I did not bring the quiz. Okay, I brought the old quizzes from last week. I brought a set of uh, uh, the uh, full answers from last week, but the, the quizzes for this week are on my desk, so we're going to have to do them. Uh, going to have to do them after the break. Let me just check. Ah, here we go. All right. Let's see. All right, we got everything here. And if, if Sandy needs more time, maybe what, what I can do is uh, I can give you back quiz one. And I'm also going to hand out, uh, will you hand out to everybody a copy of these? Are, these are the full answers to quiz one. So who is uh, anonymous? Uh -huh. We'll you for that. Uh, Dallas? Allison? Colleen? Jennifer. Jennifer. I owe you your homework. Your homework's good. I didn't have too much to say, but I, I, I meant to email that back to you today. I, I, I'll do it when I go. Joseph? Brunner? You say Brunner? Brunner. Brunner. I was thrown, thrown off by the double end. Audrey? Audrey? Oh, okay. Shilpa? Shilpa. Matthew? Emily? Jeremy? Jeremy, right? Ray? All right. Uh, and if we're, uh, if we're, are we ready? Okay, let's, let's, let's start then. <clears throat> when we talk about word formation, we really have to talk about two things. One is the structure of existing words in the language, 
And the other is how we form new words, what I call neologisms. So neo is new, log is word. And, and, and although the two, the two kinds of structure, the structure of existing words and the structure of new words have something to do with one another, um, there's really uh, quite a discrepancy, quite an amount of discrepancy between the, uh, the two things. So, uh, so we'll have a look. Uh, I thought we'd start with uh, a look at some, some words that are so new, you may not even have encountered them, although if they succeed as new words, you will know instantly what they mean and recognize them as possible English specimens. So let's see if this works. So from a couple months ago, a Starchitect. Did, have you encountered that word in your, in your reading or your conversations? Okay, good. I'm not surprised. Uh, what, do you think, what do you think it means? Okay, an architect who's a star, uh, you know, kind of leading architect. And what, what's going on with the structures? How, how, did, how, did, we get, how did we get to star architect? What, what did we have to do to take star and architect uh, uh, and, and, and put them together to get star architect? So, uh, for example, why isn't it, uh, why didn't we take architect star and get something like archistar? <laughs> There's an AR. Okay, they both have the, the letter sequence AR, the sound sequence R, in common. And just like we do when we make the word smog out of smoke and fog, smoke begins S-M-O, fog ends O-G. <clears throat> they have... <clears throat> Smoke and fog have in common only the letter O, and so we use that commonality, commonality of a spelling in this case, to form the two words. With star and architect, we have a commonality of two letters, A-R, two sounds, A-R, and that permits us to, to blend them. So it's a well-formed uh, blend, we call it. Gallerina was just, just in the New York Times. What's a gallerina? Do you, has anyone encountered that? Anybody, anybody know a gallerina? Okay. Five years ago. Okay, so this is old hat. Uh, what does gallerina convey to you? Suppose, uh, suppose we give you a little context. So, uh, how, uh, tell us more. In, um show, it was women who wanted to work in a gallery. They were aspiring gallerinas. Okay, good. Uh, so that's the context. Um, what, what do you, what, what, what is communicated to you by the, by the word? If, uh, if someone's a gallerina instead of a gallery operator or gallery, I don't know, attendant sounds a little too... Well, okay. What else? Yeah. It also feels very feminine. Yeah. Feminine. Ballerina. Okay. The ballerina. Okay. It says maybe a little diva in there, a little authority, talent. All right. It's uh, it sounds like 
it's either elevating the position or making fun, making fun of it, maybe. So uh, someone who sits at a desk all day trying to look busy while strange people come into her shop from outside, but she doesn't want to distract them too much from looking at the art. All right. Uh, try, trying to elevate that to something that's a little more, I don't know, artistic, let's say. And, oh, okay, Glunge. Let's go back to uh, Gallerina. I forgot, I forgot to ask you. Ooh, oh, okay. That's yes, coming soon. Okay. Gallerina. So the ballerina and gallery. How do we fuse those two? Gallery, Uri, gallery. So they have they have a commonality. Yeah. Okay. So Allery, Allery. Okay. So again, we take what that they have in common, Allery, and we fuse the two around what they have in common. So it's really the same process as. Okay. Now we get to fun. Lunch was in last month's New Yorker. I had never encountered. Has anyone seen it? You, I guarantee you are going to be seeing this soon. This is, this is so um, uh, 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 so involved with the modern fashion world. I know the media are going to grab onto this. And uh, you will not only encounter this word, maybe by the end of the course, you'll all come wearing the glunge look, OK? Glunge is a fashion style. Uh, before we try to define it, let's take a look at it. Here's the guy. This is a designer, an American who lives in Paris. His last name is Owens. I can't remember his first name. It might be Robert. He's probably famous, but I don't recognize his name. Uh, he typifies the glunge look, which is glamorous and grungy at the same time. Uh, here is a watch that you can buy for, I'm, I'm sure for several thousand dollars, I didn't price it, but notice the glunge look. So it, uh, it looks like the, the outside is rusted, as are the hands and the numbers, and yet there are parts of it that are very, very elegant, like the most uh, modern chronometers that you, you might see. Um, interestingly, the brand here is Titanic DNA. So it's actually making a positive about Titanic, which is, uh, which is interesting. At any rate, glunge uh, is a blend of glamour and grunge. And what they have uh, in common G. How, so how that's a little okay. So that's a little different. So if if it if it were if it were combined the way we did Starkitect and and uh, and Smog, we would have uh, I don't know what we would have. I guess I guess because okay because you can't fuse them and it takes the beginning of one and the end of the other. You can't do that. What you have to do is you have to play on the similarity between GL and GR, 
Okay, so you take the GL of glamour and put it in the position of GR in grunge, and you get grunge. All right. You have to do this question. Some people uh, can't pronounce one or the other, L or R. What is that? Oh, why, why is there a problem? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, have, have why, you... Why are they even similar at all? Uh, why are they even similar? Have, have, you, uh, have you studied any foreign language at all? What? German. German. Uh, how similar is the German R to the English R? So take yes. take a take a word like uh, that begins with an R in German. Can you, can you give me it like? Yeah. All right, say it. Okay, say it say it with an American R. Sounds very different. Okay, the American uh, the American R is very different from the German R. Any other foreign languages? Spanish, French. Uh, where do you want to go? Uh, Swahili. Uh, English has, a, a, the R sound in English is a very unusual sound. You'll find it in maybe a handful of languages around the world. It's a very difficult sound for people to pronounce. Not difficult for us, because we grow up pronouncing it. But speakers of foreign languages are going to have a problem, and they do. That's uh, one of the first things we noticed. In, in quite a number of languages, there is only one sound where we have two. We distinguish L from R, ray and lay, rise and lies. Okay. In, in many languages, R and L are not distinct sounds. They might, you might say something more like an R before some vowels, and something more like an L after other vowels and so on. But R and L will not, in, in many languages, be different from one another. And so, when someone learns English, they, uh, a differentiating between an R and L would seem strange, even if R weren't so difficult to pronounce. And so that's, that's kind of where the difficulty is. Right. And anyway. And maybe, maybe that's part of the, the, uh, the reason for glunge. It's, it's this knowledge that, yeah, the L and R uh, are, 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 are interchanged by, uh, by people sometimes. I don't know. Uh, 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 the Oxford American Dictionary every year uh, and, uh, has a little... I don't know what contest or something. And at, at the end of the year, at, at the end of 2007, they announced that the word of the year for 2007 was. Did you see it? Locavore. You're looking at me strangely, as if you never saw this word before. Has anyone encountered it? Okay, good. Uh, tell me, tell me about it. Okay, good. Great. <clears throat> so we know culturally that uh, we're learning that uh, uh, in, in order to save on, uh, 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 on uh, 
carbon dioxide emissions and so on. Um, it's, it's good to uh, buy things that are grown locally and made locally so that they don't have to be shipped long distances and so on. And so that's where the loc, they say local, okay, is the source of the loc and locavore. The vor, what, uh, what word is that based on? Carnivore, omnivore, and so on. So what, how is this word formed then? Okay, an omnivore eats everything. A carnivore eats meat. Well, I don't know what other, what other kind of vores do we have. Okay, herbivore eats herbs or okay, yeah. plants. Plants. Thank you. Thank you. Why isn't it called vegetarian or something like that? Well, that's okay. Let me ask you. Which uh, let 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 let's explore locavore first of all. What uh, uh, so we have we, we have an analogous word, okay? So this person who eats meat, person uh, or animal that eats uh, plants, uh, someone who eats everything, and and so analogously here's someone who eats local stuff, stuff that's made locally. So I think that's that's the source of the analogy. Now, why wouldn't we blend local with what vegetarian? And come up with locatarian. The blending is more for the human. So locatarian is perfectly possible. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we if you Googled it, I wouldn't be surprised if you found it somewhere. But why was locavore preferred? Well, it's go ahead. Yes, Dallas. Um, I think it's broader with the boar on the end. Locatarian sort of implies local vegetarian as opposed to local somebody that might eat meat as well. Okay, so it has a broader application. It's uh, it's shorter in syllables, so it's catchier. Um, locatarian. What could be the source of locatarian? Well, vegetarian, authoritarian. So someone who insists that you eat locally, of the locatarian is is susceptible of being misunderstood. With locavore, even though vore is a kind of odd morphine, we don't have it in lots of words. You were able to give me a, a small handful of words, and then we also have voracious, as in voracious appetite. Vore occurs there, and so on. So it's 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 a word on which. We're used to building words like omnivore, herbivore, and so on. I'm curious about loca because yeah. in my mind that it's connected with like locomotion, yeah. um, which I think is actually loco. But can yeah. I mean does that actually have anything to do with local or? Yes, in fact, the the loc in locomotion is also local. All right, so locomotion is just it's it's uh, it's moving your place. Okay, so where you are changes, and. Loc is the the root in location as well. Why it's loca, L-O-C-A, rather than loco, L-O-C-O. Well, maybe loco, I guess that means crazy, right? So maybe that's why we've... Or loci, L-O-C-I, that would be, that would correspond beautifully to Latin Apparently, the people who made made up locavore didn't know that, 
And so they wound up with the A, probably because of all the words that we, we mentioned, local and location are the most common, the most frequent, and they have the, uh, the vowel A. So this, this, this word was formed by some combination of convenience, we just threw together what we know, and um, judgment about what is going to register with people. Here's the new word, logosphere. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's a complicated word because uh, the, part, uh, the first part of it, blog, is itself a complex word. It's formed by clipping web blog, right? And by, by cutting off the first two letters. And, and that's especially complicated because normally when we abbreviate words, we don't clip off the two, first two letters. We clip off things from the right-hand side rather than the left. But there are cer certainly cases where uh, we do clip from, from the left. We'll talk about, uh, uh, we'll see a few more examples of clipping late, later on in the session. <clears throat> um, blogosphere is, uh, is interesting because it, refl it reflects uh, some choices. Uh, what, uh, what, what does, uh, we, we know what the blog in blogosphere conveys to us because we all know what a blog is. Blog is. What does sphere, okay, we know what a sphere is, but what, does, what meaning does sphere give to blogosphere? What does that, uh, so putting blog in the context of sphere, what, what, what contribution is sphere making to the, the picture that you get of the blogosphere? That it's a place. Okay, so, so a sphere, we think of a place, and a place that's like a planet, okay, like our planet, right? I was going to say it's like a community or a, uh, a URL.com or a .org kind of a designation to me. Okay, so we, we think of it as a community. Somehow, uh, somehow this sphere is, is, is giving a sense of inhabiting the same place or being tied together in, in a single place. But uh, isn't it? Yes, go ahead. Like a bubble. Like a bubble. Is that okay? All right. So the sphere resembles a bubble, and they're insulated from those not in the blogosphere. Okay, good. So it's not—it's not only where we are together; it's also we're together, isolated from everything outside. So it's—it's—it's it's, like—it's like a community. It's like a home. It's—it's—it's it's, it's a place that is defended from intruders, in, in a sense. Very good. What? Um, when, uh, I don't know who is responsible for naming blogosphere, but there were other choices at the time. Um, it could have been called the blogiverse for, uh, for universe, or it could have been called the blogocosm, like macrocosm or something. Why? And I, I, I don't have a good answer for this, but a, a choice was actually made. I mean, think, thinking of objects that denote uh, 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 a planet in space, sphere is not really the first thing that you think of. Okay? We can defend sphere, but you think of the universe. Think of cosmic, think of galaxies. Okay? Why isn't it the, the blogic sea? Okay? 
All right. I, I, and uh, uh, as I said, I don't have an answer. I think so, some of the possible terms for blogosphere sound pretty bad, like blogoxy, for example. But Wonderful. So just like uh, Tween is uh, capitalizing on the uh, on the on the associations we get from the context between and teen, blogosphere is helping us to picture what it is because we have associations with atmosphere which are uh, which are relevant in some way. They're pleasant and relevant and so on. There's also a sense of expansiveness when you hear this word, in the sense that it's really large, it's out there. Uh-huh. So there's, a, there's an expansiveness, like she okay. was saying that. So, so, so atmosphere helps us to think of, uh, the, uh, the, of space, right? And so this is helping us uh, to, to think of space. Great. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, uh, it, obviously, it's a joke, although to people who blog on the stratosphere, it's, it's not totally a joke. So the, the, the name is a joke. It, it has a lighthearted sense. But the purpose of the blog is uh, it's, really, it, it's really to combat the message that society is sending to overweight people saying, you are evil, you are self-indulgent, you don't belong here, you should be much thinner than you are, and so on. And that's, that's the kind of uh, uh, philosophy, I think, that's uh, behind the, the, the fatosphere. At any rate, when, uh, when, when, uh, when something catches on, when a new word or idea catches on, there will be people who are, let's say, inspired by, by that idea and try to uh, use that idea to come up with their own inventions. And so you'll see sort of copycat words, and, and that's what this seems to be. OK, bling bling didn't exist 10 years ago, all right? And now it's all it's now it's all over the place. How did how did it get formed? Sort of by a visual look or how it appears. So uh, uh, tell tell me what the connection is. Uh, shiny jewelry, uh, kind of in the sound usually associated with it on like TV or cartoon when something flashes. Or okay, so th there's something flashy about the sound. Of bling, is that is that, yeah, yeah. So if you have, uh, it's it, uh, linguists tend to hold that the association between sound and meaning in language is arbitrary. In fact, that's that's the first definition of language that that uh, we we learn when we when we study linguistics, um, and so uh, the fact that the word uh, that the sound sequence in cat refers to a feline animal. Has the, the sounds 
in the word have nothing to do with the meaning of the word. And we can test that by looking at the word cat across languages. We find you know, it's just accidental. With most words, you know, desk, table, and so on, we're going to find that. But there really are some words, and bling is one, that just there's, there's a certain ring to that word. The fact that it rhymes with ring by itself helps it, I think, to, to have a sort of presence, make an impression of flashiness or intruding on your senses in some way. Yeah. Are there some of these that really aren't meant to last? Because the wearing of this jewelry, I think, is a fad. And I don't think that word's going to hold up either. And it'll uh -huh. become dated. Yeah, it, uh, that may well be true. I think it's dangerous. I, I, I admire your courage in making that p prediction. But it, it's really, I, I'd say, at this, at this point, it's hard to tell. It really may have, uh, it, it may really have a, a longer life than we expect, or it may go away and come back. It's really hard to tell because so many different factors have to combine in order to cause anything to happen to a language. Look at the look at the the, the attribute cool, for example. When I was growing up, when I was a teenager, uh, to be cool was what everyone wanted to, to be. And uh, that it got so run into the ground that coolness became, <laughs> as th that word, coolness became just not, you, you didn't hear it uh, for a long time. And now it's come back again. Everybody's saying, oh, cool, cool, all right. Uh, it's, it's really hard to tell. But I see, I see what you mean, because, because the, the thing that bling bling is referring to, is, bling bling is kind of, it's kind of making fun of the shininess, the gaudiness, right, of, of the jewelry. And so be, it, because the word is, is really saying this stuff isn't worth much, it doesn't have much uh, permanent value, uh, we, could, we, could, we could see how the culture would get rid of the bling bling, and as a result, we would kind of get, get rid of the word. So I, I, mean, I, I think it's a reasonable, reasonable prediction, but I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's accurate. Sort of to its staying power, uh, a lot of toothpaste commercials, every time somebody smiles and shows off their you know, white teeth, yeah. what do you hear? Bling. And that's been around for a very long time. So. Yeah. Right. So uh, yeah, it's, it, isn't it interesting? Um, these things, they really, they really do acquire a life. And some of them get beaten into the ground. That's what happened with cool the first time around, I think. But so they, they, have, to acquire, they, they have to be spread around to a certain extent. We, they have to be applied to new things. So shiny teeth, for example. Uh, that's a sign of life. But as they get extended to more and more things, they become less and less distinctive and, and therefore less and less impressive. And so it's, it's, really, uh, it's really hard to, to second guess what's going what's gonna to come of it. Will, will we uh, abandon the, the word, abandon the concept, or not? Ginormous. Uh, so this is giant and enormous. Um, this, uh, the, the, we, we could make a case that this is formed the way that, uh, 
that Smog and Starkitect are, namely, we have giant, giant, after jai, you have the sound uh, giant. We have the letter A, but it's pronounced uh. In enormous, we're starting with the sound uh. And so you could say that giant and enormous share the sound uh, but then in that case, it would be ginormous, right? Okay, I'm sorry, my, my analysis doesn't work. Which, uh, yes, go ahead. Well, it does if, if you use it as, as if your IE is a diphthong, ginormous, okay. and then it okay. kind of, you know, and then you glide it together and it turns into ginormous, but the IE is a, you know, works because of the diphthong. Okay, good, good. I think I think really what it is is it's a, it's a, it's a little bit like uh, between you've got you've got uh, you've got you've got a base word like like uh, between and you find that if you can cut off the the buh of between you come up with tween that sounds like teen here you've got a word like enormous which is very easy to recognize and now if you take the word giant and substitute the stressed syllable of, of giant, namely jai, for the unstressed syllable of enormous, you, you get something that you can still recognize as enormous, and yet you have, uh, you have a recognizable part of giant as well. <clears throat> and I think this is the, the, the last web. A webisode, have you encountered those? What's a webisode? Where do you, where do you see webisodes? content that's made for the web. Okay, so like if there's a, what, a, a, a TV show or something like that, right? A, just a, a continuing, a serial sort of thing that has episodes and it's on the web, then uh, it's called a webisode. What's interesting uh, uh, from a linguistic standpoint is that it's called a webisode and not a webisode. Okay, the similarity that, uh, between the two words, web and episode, that is, uh, that's being used by this word is the sound eh, the vowel of web, which is the first vowel of episode, plus the p of episode is simply the voiceless version of the sound b of web. Next week, we'll be discussing consonants and voicing and which consonants are more closely related to one another. We'll even discuss R and L, in fact. And so uh, we'll, we'll see more about the similarities. But what's, what's, what's interesting about webisode is that <coughs> we were able to com uh, combine web and episode into one word, ignoring the fact that B and P are distinct sounds. They're similar enough that we're able to ignore the distinctness. We have two comments here. Let me move close to... You, well, there's, you another, post. Uh, there's another webinar. It's it's a webinar. Webinar is uh, you know very uh, okay. used a lot in businesses okay. about having an online seminar where to connect people on a given topic. Okay, so we could we could call the we, uh, what what we're beginning to see is then is that we're I, 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 what I was trying to do is I was trying to analyze webisode as a blend of web and episode. But really what it is is uh, web, web, web is kind of taking over the first syllable of episode. Just like in webinar, web is taking over the first syllable sem of seminar. 
Yeah, okay, good, yeah, good one. I was thinking when you said webisode, it sounds a lot like weapon, and it has a negative connotation. Huh. So webisode sounds very harsh. Oh, oh, yes. If you said webisode, it would not be understood as taking place on the web. So yeah, it's just, I think webinar helps us to, uh, to analyze this correctly. So web seminar, web episode, and I think maybe the next one, no, let's see. Okay, okay, I don't know where, where okay. Another one that, uh, at, uh, in some slide somewhere, I, maybe it didn't make it, uh, make it into here, um, uh, I included the, um, the word cosmeceutical. What's a cosmeceutical? Okay, so there are cer certain things that are halfway in between. They're like, they're like, uh, they're, li they're, they're, they're like a pharmaceutical, they're like a drug, but they have cosmetic purposes rather than uh, curing some, some sort of ailment. So what, 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 what we do with, with a word like cosmeceutical is we take pharmaceutical and in, in place of the first syllable, we put in uh, 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 a new syllable that stands for something else. So, so the cosma of cosmetic stands for uh, uh, stands in the place of farm in pharmaceutical. <clears throat> What's happening? Uh, okay, let's look at a, a very different kind of word: fish with the ph. Again, a very recent word. What what did we do? What did we jiggle around to come to come up with this word? What relation does it have with uh, with fish? F I S H. I don't know if. Okay, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to ask, but since you had your hand up, if my, they sound the same. Okay. So, but and and is that all? They do. Yeah. Fi they sound the same. Does does this have anything to do with the concept of Isn't fishing? Isn't it like fishing for information? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. So so this is really built on an image that the literal word fish is uh, uh, conjures up, all right? Uh, so why did we change the spelling? That was what I have a hand raised for. Ah, I, assume okay, this, <laughs> I assume this descended from, in the 70s and 80s, there was a practice called freaking, E-H-R-E-A-K-I-N-G, okay. that was doing illicit things on the phone system. So I assume this was the ah. update of that type of term. Wow, fantastic. Now, uh, so that answers one question and it raises the question again. With freaking, why did freaking get spelled with the PH? Phone. Phone. Because of PH in phone. Wonderful. Wow. Wow. Okay, good. So, um, excellent. Um, um, uh, actually, I had thought that PH was just another, another, another way of spelling the sound F. And so to make, to make the word look different and a little more mysterious than fish, PH was used. But I didn't realize that freaking was uh, an expression in the 70s that uh, was some other kind of underhanded maneuver using electronic communication systems. And I didn't realize that the pH 
in freaking was associated in people's minds with the pH of foam. The beautiful, beautiful etymology. That belongs in the Urban Dictionary, if not the OED, if not the OED. Excellent. <clears throat> um, let's look at the, this, this, okay. Well, there's, there's uh, what, what, uh, the reason why this is here is I wanted to um, contrast how we make up words now with how people used to back when willy-nilly came into the language, which was uh, 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 a couple of centuries ago, I think. What does willy-nilly mean? Just kind of just lackadaisically, right? Not caring one way or the other, right? So um, we we did uh, we did the assignment willy-nilly. We really didn't care about the output. We just got it. Got it done. And, uh, it's it's such an old expression that I don't I don't think we use it very much. Uh, we may encounter it you know, here and there. But do you have any, do you have any intuitions about what it means or how it came to be? Does the will in willy nilly mean anything? Does the nil in nilly mean anything? Do, do they come from words in the language, or are they just arbitrary sequences of that? Could it mean that will as an effort, and nil as a no effort? Okay, uh, that's close. The will comes from our future marker, will, as in I will, I shall. And the nil used to be a verb that meant not, not to will, to will not, to be unwilling. And so the two were combined willy-nilly in, some, uh, in somewhat the way that bling-bling. Uh, we went from bling to bling-bling. There's a little bit of repetition there that makes, uh, that makes it sound catchier. <clears throat> All right. Uh, uh, let's, let's turn now to uh, the, the, the kinds of uh, word structure that I'm sure you all who said you were interested in the structure of words when, when you filled out your yellow slips for me uh, thought you were interested in. The word structure that, 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 that comes in our words be, uh, because a lot of our words were borrowed from, uh, from Latin or from French, which got them uh, from Latin. <clears throat> So what, what, one of the main words, uh, one of the main ways that we see words uh, coming to uh, 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 coming into being is okay. Here we're not talking about neologisms, but just words coming in, into our language and being analyzed is derivation by affixation. Affixation means prefixation or suffixation. And so, and we've seen, this is, uh, this is nothing new, we won't dwell on it here. Um, <clears throat> we see that uh, uh, if, we, if we have a root, we can attach a prefix or suffix and get a new word. So in position, can someone tell me what the root is? Is it posit, posit? Is it posy? Is it po? 
Is it sit? It's not sit, okay? It's not sit because there's no prefix po. So the root definitely begins with a P-O. And how far, how far into the word does the root go? Well, I, that's, that's good. But uh, P-O is defensible. But now take words like suppose, oppose, which has, uh, uh, it, it really has the same root, okay, P-O-S. Where does the I come in in ishin? Well, you, you hear it in prohibition, uh, transition, um, condition. The, the, the I comes before T-I-O-N in quite a number of words. Even more common than, than the, the, the letter I is A. So in Asian, you get uh, uh, you know, conflagration and compensation and, and, and so on. So the, uh, before T-I-O-N, typically we get some, some vowel. And that vowel often is the vowel A, sometimes it's the vowel I. But the, the real root of, of this word is, uh, is P-O-S. <clears throat> and uh, we, 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 we justify that by saying, well, we have words like, uh, uh, like position that, that just have the root pose with a prefix before them. So suppose, uh, prepose, impose, and so on. Um, seed is a root. We see it in precede. Cess is a root. We see it in recess, excess, success. And so from these, uh, from these roots, we get, uh, we get uh, new words by, uh, by prefixing. Seed and cess are interesting because they both come from Latin. But in Latin, they were one and the same root. They meant to yield, to give way. And uh, uh, later in the course, we'll take a little look at Latin and, and uh, certain changes that happen to roots. But because of those changes in Latin, if you, put, if you put a root in one form, say in the present tense, that form would have a D. So seed has a D. But if you took that same root and you put it in another, uh, another tense, like you made it a, a past passive participle, so mean, mean ha having been yielded or something like that, that D would change to S because when you put it in the participle, there would be an ending on it that caused the D to change to a different sound. Seed and cess, we'll treat them as separate roots in English, but they actually go back to the same root in, in Latin. <clears throat> and uh, that, that illustrates a, a point that uh, we talk about a little in chapter three, uh, the, the structure of, of English. Even though these English words come from Latin, the structure, the, these words have been restructured in English. They had a different, slightly different structure in Latin. <clears throat> um, what, why, what's the value of taking apart words that have been in the language for centuries and that we borrowed from some totally different language like, like Latin? What's the interest in doing that? Well, one, one of the things is that, uh, if we know how to analyze words, it actually helps us to spell sometimes. So here, here I have uh, uh, alternate spellings for three words that I've seen spelt in, in both ways. Um, uh, I've gotten memos from deans at Stanford that misspell some of these words, for example. Um, and if they only uh, took this course, they would probably spell a little better. 
Let me just uh, get a consensus from you on how to spell the first word. Is consensus spelled with an S or a C after the con? So uh, just uh, how about let, uh, just ask? I'm going to ask you to just write that down. Write down your answer on the sheet of paper, and I'll ask you the next two questions, and then we'll we'll take a vote and and try to do this democratically. With accommodate. Uh, uh, all right, I <laughs> I misspelled it. What, what I should have done is let's take this one. I'm going to put one M here. And uh, in the left-hand example, in the right-hand example, we have two M's. Which of those is correct? <clears throat> and then the last one is supersede, to go beyond something. Is supersede, and supersede is seed spelled with a C or with an S? Okay, write down your answer. And if you're not sure, you're in good company, and just pick the one that looks right to you. All right, so let's uh, let's get the consensus. What's uh, 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 who who will spell consensus with an S after con? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Who will spell consensus with C? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm not counting myself. So, just by the slimmest majority, uh, uh, the consensus is correct. S is the correct letter. For th okay, for, for those of you uh, who got it, who, who got the S right, what is the, what is the root in consensus? Why is the S there, not a C? Sense, like S-E-N-C-E. Sense, as in sensing, having, uh, having a feeling. So even though we think of a consensus as you're polling people and you know, uh, a, whole, uh, you know, a, a whole lot of them feel one way, the real image behind the word is uh, it's, it's when the members of a group uh, have the same feeling. That's when a consensus arises. With accommodate one M or two, who votes for one M? One? Okay, the majority is going to win here. Why does there have to be two M's in accommodate? It would make no sense to have. Uh, it's not. It's not, uh, it's not to hurt your feelings. But from uh, from a linguistic standpoint, from a standpoint of the structure of the word, how could how? Um, uh, how could, uh, wh why is it that accommodate must have two L's? It has to do with the prefix and the suffix. I mean, the prefix and the root. What's, uh, uh, let's take accommodate apart. What are the morphemes in accommodate? We got the first prefix. It's spelled A-C here, but that represents what, what real prefix in language? Add, that means two. What's the second prefix? Com, as in communicate, commiserate, and so on. And that com is a, a variant of the prefix C-O-N. What's the root of accommodate? 
mode. What does mode mean, or what, what, where, do we, where else do we see that root? Modal, modality, commode, commodious, modify, all right? And then, uh, then there's the ending, A-T-E. All right. <clears throat> the reason why accommodate gets spelled with two M's is because the, the prefix con ends with a nasal consonant. The N assimilates to the following M because that's, that's what N's do. But the, uh, because, the, because the root has its own M, we wind up with two in, in spelling. Right? If this were a class in the structure of Spanish words, Spanish, Spanish spelling changed this. But English spelling preserves the etymologic uh, uh, M of the prefix and the root. All right. <clears throat> Supersede. Who votes for seed with C-E-D-E? -E? Almost everyone. So I, I too many to count. Who votes for S in supersede? I'm alone? Do I have no, that all? Well, I'm sorry. If, uh, you're all wrong. <laughs> uh, look it up in any dictionary. A supersede, well, except the Urban Dictionary. I don't know what they say about it. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the way supersede uh, came about, the, the image behind the word, it, uh, it comes from the verb S-E-D, meaning to sit. It's the verb in sedentary. It's the root in president. S-I-D in president is the one who sits before us. Okay, the, the vowel changes there for, uh, for reasons which uh, I, uh, 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 it's not, not the right time to go into those reasons, but, but uh, uh, we'll see other instances of that change even uh, uh, if not next week, the week after. Okay, so the, the, um, the, the image of, sup of superseding is of something sitting in a place above something else, so that it's kind of sitting on top of it. So this supersedes that directive, means the, that old directive is no longer in force, and this is sitting on top of it, all right? The, now, why, why do you all think that the, why is it reasonable that you all thought that supersede was spelt with a C? I didn't see on the last slide. <laughs> okay. Why else? Well, you got intercede, proceed, succeed, precede, proceed. Okay, you get uh, the root seed with C E D E or C E E C E D E or C E E D appears in many many verbs that are structurally very similar to supersede. They have they have prefixes. Just like uh, we'll have uh, 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 words like what uh, 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 I'm, I'm trying to think of other words where super and inter and pre and pro all occur. The, the, those prefixes all come from Latin, 
and we're familiar with those prefixes. Seed, C-E-D-E, is a very common verb root. Okay, we gave you lots of examples. S-E-D-E is not a common verb root, and so you made a logical but incorrect deduction. Seed must be spelled C-E-D-E. So uh, uh, if we had a final exam, I guarantee super seed would be on the test, but we don't, so there you go. A derivation without affixation, this we talked about in the first class, and I, I just prepared one uh, slide on it. I won't, won't talk about it anymore. Um, uh, we, uh, we, so we can take a noun like floor and make it into a verb. Uh, chalk, uh, chalk up uh, one for uh, someone. Police, obviously a noun, and yet you can police people and so on. Um, Notice that I set the last three verbs separate from the first three, release, chew, and cry. I, wanted to, I did that because I wanted to ask you if you get any, any feeling that uh, 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 of a difference in, uh, uh, in, in, in these two pairs. The first three, uh, are, uh, come from nouns. Okay, the basic meaning of floor is a noun. And we get the verbal meaning by extending that meaning. Okay, so when you floor someone, it's like you're, you're causing them to fall to the floor. If you police someone, you're act, act, acting as a police agent to them. If you chalk something out, up, you're using chalk to make a mark, okay? Now look at the last three. Release. Is that uh, does that have the same kind of structure? That is, are we, are we changing a noun into a verb? Release can be both a noun and a verb. You can release people from uh, prison, or you can have a quick release on the bicycle. Or you, uh, all right. Uh, chew. Let's see. Chew. Chew. Chew, you can have a chew of something, I suppose. Right? So chew, chew is easy to imagine as a verb, but a chew, chew as a noun. Okay. Well, I, I, can't, I can't put it in a very good sentence. It's like you, in Texas you say you chaw. Oh, you know, okay, good. Okay. okay, good. So, uh, and with cry, again, the basic meaning is verbal, right? But we, then we take the verb and make it into a noun. So, uh, so zero derivation will uh, put a zero ending, if you will, on nouns to make them verbs, put a zero ending on verbs to make them nouns. Um, uh, uh, pe uh, pe people still don't like to change the language, and so when gift started getting used as a verb, someone on their blog uh, put this little announcement you can keep trying to force it, but I refuse to accept your gift on a verb. Uh, this was um, five or six years ago. Uh, Regifting has become more, more common now, and I wonder if this same person is, is as resistant. <clears throat> Note, uh, here's a card, uh, 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 okay, a, gift, a gift card. And uh, it, uh, okay, this person objected to J. Crew using gift as a verb, 
but they blithely ignored the fact that who was used in place of whom. <laughs> okay, so what this is telling us is that uh, whom is pretty much way on its, on its, on its, on its way out. So even if someone is res resisting some changes, they, uh, they, they uh, already are pretty far along in accepting the change that uh, we don't use whom as much as we used to. <clears throat> uh, 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 another, another form of, uh, uh, <clears throat> of word formation is making a single word out of two words. This we do uh, uh, all the time in, in English. The reason why these particular examples are on this slide is they help to illustrate how variable or how rich the relationships are within a compound. So a pasta maker is a machine that makes pasta. It could also be a person. Okay, I'm a pasta maker by profession. But when you see pasta maker, I think the first thing you'll think of is an implement, right? Go ahead. So that, um, that sounds to me like a noun phrase. I mean, where's the boundary between a word and a phrase? Oh, uh, uh, an excellent question. So compounds resemble phrases because phrases have several words in them. But, but notice that if... <clears throat> uh, 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 there's there's a, a structural difference that comes out if you try to put uh, certain nouns in uh, in different forms. So if I have a, a phrase, I could have something like uh, I can have a, a possessive. So like uh, uh, John's knife. Okay, I. If I, have, uh, if I have a phrase, I can have possessives there, but I can't have a pasta's maker, okay? Or uh, uh, like, uh, take a shoemaker. Uh, normally, shoes come in pairs. The word shoes is more common, actually, than the word shoe, probably, because they come in pairs. And yet, we don't call it a shoes maker, all right? Uh, so compounds have a very particular kind of structure. They, uh, they're subject to fairly restrictive rules. Phrases are much freer. You can combine words in, in phrases. Phrases, of course, are subject to other rules. But the restrictions on, 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 on what you can do in compounds are very, very tight. What the, the, the intuition between, behind a compound is that it behaves like one word, even though it's structured from two. And so if I ask you, what's the plural of pasta maker? You'll say pasta makers. You'll put it on the end. You won't say pasta's maker. What's the plural of shoemaker? You'll say shoemakers, not. OK, so it really, the intuition is it, it, it really behaves morphologically, behaves in the system of language like a single word. Uh, and that, that's something that we never learn in school, and yet we all, we, we all seem, and, and we've seen ourselves violate all kinds of rules. There's a rule that, that we really don't violate. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? OK. Pasta maker tends to be a machine. Shoemaker, I, I can imagine a machine that makes shoes. I'm sure there are machines that make shoes. They probably don't call them shoemakers. <laughs> OK. But so we ha have words that have very similar uh, structures, very parallel structures. But one typically refers to a thing. Another one refers to. 
a person. Also, even take the meaning of the word make in pasta maker versus shoemaker. A pasta maker creates pasta out of flour and whatever other ingredients, eggs or whatever uh, goes into them. Shoemaker possibly fabricates shoes from scraps, but when I go to the shoemaker, it's to have my existing shoes uh, you know, taken care of. So make, even the meaning of make is different in those two expressions. Um, take bluebird and bluebeard. Bluebird describes, give me a paraphrase, using the words blue and bird, give me a paraphrase of the word bluebird. Give me a definition of the word bluebird. Using the words blue and bird, it's going to sound idiotic, but just give it to me. Someone. A, bird a bird that is blue. Now give me a definition of bluebeard. It's not a beard, it's a person with a blue beard, all right? So we see that uh, these compounds, even though they're similar in structure, in structure can really denote uh, different kinds of uh, relationships between the first element and the second element. <clears throat> it's easy to um, uh, find compounds that are made of two nouns or an adjective and a noun. So pasta maker is two nouns. Blackboard are uh, adjective and a noun. Uh, but there are other kinds of compounds as well. So crybaby is a, is a good one. Okay, it's got, uh, uh, it starts with the verb. <clears throat> Ice cream is a little bit interesting because it looks like it's made of two nouns. But that doesn't, it doesn't make sense. How, how did the expression ice cream come into being? It, uh, it, it, it's, not, it's not cream that's associated with ice cubes. It's cream that has been iced. If you ever made ice cream with an ice cream maker, right? You take cream and, and you move it around and you get it colder and colder because it's surrounded by ice. It originated as iced cream. And we're all saying it incorrectly. We're all being sloppy, if you will, because over time, we dropped the D, and now we think of it as ice cream. Ice cream. All right. If you stick with sticklers for correctness, probably you should go back to calling it iced cream. What's happening with the beverage iced tea, where we still encountered the D on I-C-E, and yet it's being lost? as well. So you'll, you'll see references to iced tea without, without the D. Okay, so this is just a process that, uh, that's, that's going on. It came to completion with ice, ice cream. It's not quite there with iced tea. Mm. Um, here's another compound. <clears throat> Woman. Woman in, uh, in Old English was a compound. The word with meant wife. Mon meant person. Uh, someone here speaks German. Mann in German means, and means person. Person. Okay. In Old English, Mann meant person. And so a Wiefmann was a wife person. Put those together, the, uh, 
the, this consonant got lost before the M, and you come, come up with something that uh, sounds uh, uh, more like our present word woman. Same for husband. Husband used to be uh, a compound as well. The hus, the H-U-S in husband, referred to house, and the, uh, the, the other word, bond, was uh, a dweller. This is, a, this is actually an older form of, uh, uh, of the PowerPoint. And uh, 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 I'm going to see if I can find the, a newer one <clears throat> uh, during the break. Um, we talked about shortening briefly. Here at Stanford, uh, 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 you'll hear people talking about Memorial Church, OK, as Memchu, Flomo, Florence Moore, uh, a dormitory. And way back in the old days, maybe before, before the 1950s, I don't know, uh, Hoover Tower was called Hu Tao, all right? Uh, that, that, uh, that, that clipping that we get in these local expressions is the same clipping that we, we get today in, uh, in words like high te hyper info and, and so on. Um, this slide shows that sometimes you can clip from the left-hand side of a word instead of the, the right. So neighborhood becomes hood, parents becomes rents, and za, za is one of those things that's very popular in all around the early 1990s. Uh, uh, you would go out and have a za, name, namely a pizza. There's a, a pizza place near where I live that's called za's with a double z, okay, za. And it's been there since the 90s. The place has survived, but the term za, the way you're looking at me, I can tell. This is this has the term has has left the language. So it's one of those short-lived things. <clears throat> um, at this point, let me see uh, if this is where I wanted us to take a, a break. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, uh, I, I think this is a good, good point to, uh, to take a break. So uh, uh, what, what, what we're going to do is I'm going to hand out the, the quizzes. And uh, if you want to take the quiz, stay with us. If you don't, just start your break. But it's uh, my heavens, where does the time go? Um, let's, let's come back at uh, uh, 8.30. We have to do the... Uh, the the vowel shift later. So uh, let me um, let me um, give you your your quizzes. <laughs> Everybody is working so hard here. All right, can I ask you to uh, pass these out? And will you do will you do the same? All right, you've been uh, uh, been very good to. Stick with us for this long. Right. Uh, if if you don't want to take the quiz, if you
So that's the perfect question for today. We don't have time to answer it, so let's just say do it next time. Okay, so I'll write that down. Some of you are not getting much of a break, and I'm very sorry for that. Uh, uh, from now on, from now on, I'll uh, really try to uh, stop for a while at, at eight o'clock. <clears throat> but let's. Um, we have a, a few things that we wanted to finish from from last time. Some uh, some great uh, questions that were asked, and so let's. Uh, okay. The great English scholarship we, we said was here. The great English scholarship we said is what uh, what defines the break between Middle English and and modern English. So uh, the last great author who uh, is cited for Middle English is Chaucer. The first great author who's uh, cited for present-day English, from early modern English, is Shakespeare. Uh, Shakespeare died around 1616, and uh, uh, it, by, the, by the time he died, the English vowel shift had pretty much uh, changed all the vowels in the language. There's uh, some, some sweeping up to do, but uh, vowel shift basically uh, took place in, uh, at the very beginning of the, the present-day English period. <clears throat> so uh, what we need to do is uh, talk about three things. What were the changes? We saw those a little last time. And then uh, two uh, great questions came up last time that we uh, uh, didn't devote enough time to that I didn't have uh, good enough answers for. So I want, I want to treat those today. <clears throat> Let's look at the vowel systems of Middle English and present-day English. We'll just look at the long vowels here. The long vowels are the ones that shifted. In Middle English, we had, uh, and we have a terrible font problem here. Um, Middle English has a vowel E, A, U, O, A, and this vowel should be written as an open O and pronounce aw, the way I pronounce saw, or bought. <clears throat> In present day English, this symbol here says pretty much what, uh, what, what the Middle English symbol uh, says. We don't put a colon after it in present day English because uh, uh, we don't have we don't have the same system of long versus short vowels in present day English that Middle English did. Next week, when we talk about allomorphy and phonetics, we'll talk a little bit more about the vowel system. <clears throat> we have the vowel E and U. For, for the mid-vowel A, we have a diphthong, A, A. If I say, if I say A without the, the off-glide that makes a diphthong, it sounds like A, A, A. That's the way the Middle English vowel was pronounced. Uh, in the back vowels, we have O. Low vowels, we have, uh, we had A and A. And in present day English, we have A and A. So the, uh, the last symbol 
here that on the chart looks like a square is actually an open O. Now, this, uh, uh, this, I present you these charts only so that we can talk about the changes in pronunciation that were caused by the great vowel shift. So the next chart is going to make uh, more sense than, than this one. So let's turn to that. <clears throat> I simply add a few words from Middle English and, and Modern English to compare their pronunciation. The spelling I'm giving you here is, uh, is the Modern English pronunciation. The, the spelling in Middle English would just confuse me at this point, and so I, I, uh, I'm going to uh, use Modern English spelling. Our word fine, our word fine, that begins with the vowel ah, and uh, is part of a diphthong with uh, off vowel e, so fine, used to be pronounced fiend. Words that had e, the long vowel e, shifted the vowel so the e became i. A high vowel became a low vowel. A word like present-day meat in Middle English was pronounced mate, mate. And so the mid-vowel in Middle English became a high vowel. <clears throat> the low vowel of Middle English of name was nama, nama. And the, that low vowel has become a middle, mid vowel in present day English. Again, it's not just these particular examples, but essentially every word in the language that had the vowels e, a, and a underwent this shift. All right. The same thing happened with the back vowels. So um, uh, words like our present word pool, present word pool in Middle English was pronounced pole. And the reason, the reason why we use this double O for pool, double O, if, if we were being sensible, double O would mean a long O. It's, it, okay, the Middle English spelling with a double O was actually quite reasonable for a long O. We kept the spelling, but we changed the pronunciation. O now is pronounced oo. The, uh, the oo of Middle English, in, uh, in husband, we said that the, the word house was hoose. And that's the, way, that's the way house used to be pronounced. What happened was that the, the vowel oo became a low vowel. So oo is now ow. It has an a followed by a diphthongal u. That's how great the shift was. We're going to talk now, uh, in, we're going to talk in a moment about uh, how the shift came about, what, what caused it, and how, how we know that uh, the vowels were pronounced this way. But before that, I want us to do one exercise from the back of chapter two. But in Middle English, uh, fina, the, the, the arrow at the end actually re, uh, represents a vowel, the vowel a, uh, the vowel schwa. Fina, in present day English, by vowel shift, should be pronounced fine. Okay, you saw that. Klein, kleina, should be, so with the mid vowel, where did mid-vowel mid up? So it should be pronounced clean. 
Nama Risa is pronounced. So the low vowel went to mid name. Um, okay, and, and with the back vowels, we saw one of the examples already. Okay, so they have fine, clean, name, house, moon, and goat. <clears throat> um, uh. All right, uh, what I'm going to do here is ask you to uh, forgive me for uh, these, these symbols. I'm going to give you a chart on the left-hand side here that has the right symbols. So uh, say, uh, pronounce the word S-T-U-C-K. Stuck. Okay, this symbol, this symbol is the phonetic symbol. We'll learn it in chapter five for the vowel of stuck. Ah, this is the symbol ah. It's written like this. The word below it, say it. I hear stock or stock, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write this vowel this way like the vowel ah, stock. Although some of you uh, uh, pronounce it stock. Take the next word, S-T-O-C-K, pronounce that. Stock. I'm going to write that vowel this way. And the, the last word is pronounced stack. Eh is pronounced this way. Mm. Yeah. Uh, 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 what, what this chart is showing us is the vowels of present-day English. And uh, uh, it summarizes some research that has been done by uh, Professor William LaBeouf from the University of Pennsylvania and some associates of his. Uh, they studied vowel pronunciations in what they call the northern cities, Chicago, Detroit, Cleveland, and Buffalo, and they found that the vowels in, of uh, residents in these cities are shifting. Um, uh, the reason why I'm presenting this example here is um, uh, to, uh, to show that without any outside force, Vowels can shift in, uh, in, in someone's, someone's speech, and those shifts can catch on. Here's, here's what's happening in, in these cities. The, um, the vowel ah of stuck is, be, is moving backwards. So it's becoming more like uh, uh, an, an O sound. So it's becoming like stock. S-T-U-C-K is starting to be pronounced stock, stock. That sounds an awful lot like the way I pronounce S-T-A-L-K, the next word down. So what are they doing in the northern cities so that the two words don't merge? They're changing stock so that the vowel is going lower and it's becoming stock, S is stock, which some of you say something you know, very similar to. But stock for S-T-A-L-K is sounding an awful lot like S-T-O-C-K. For some people that's okay, but others are moving stock 
so that its vowel is becoming more front, more like, well, okay, like a, a, a front ah, and it sounds like stock, stock. Come on. Uh, come on, pa. That's, uh, that's my stock. You, you, that's my stock you got, okay? The vowels become uh, like a, a front vowel. I'm exaggerating here, but I happen to be from Chicago, and this is not, I mean Chicago, and, uh, and, and this is not totally foreign to me. But, well, so that the, the, the vowel of stack is becoming a little closer to stack, and so stack has to shift, and so it's moving up, and it's, it's becoming stick, stick. Uh, can, can you, can you man the stick? Okay, for me, please, something like that. <clears throat> uh, this, this is happening, and uh, 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 people speculate on what's going, you know, what's, what's the reason behind this. And, and the basic feeling is that uh, when, when, uh, when you feel uh, a sense of community with a group, uh, you do certain things alike. You dress alike, you talk alike, you behave alike, and so on. And uh, speech behavior is not all that different from clothing behavior or all the other behaviors uh, we exhibit. If we start to move away from the ex uh, accepted norms in one kind of behavior, moving uh, away from those norms in other kinds of behavior is kind of is, is natural. And that that seems to be, uh, uh, grossly oversimplified, that seems to be kind of what's going on there. What happened in the Middle Ages, nobody, nobody, with the great volunteers, nobody knows for sure. There's all kinds of speculations. It's sort of funny to read some of them. Uh, 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 the, uh, the Middle English speakers were objecting to the French because they were so refined, and so they changed all the vowels, you know, from from the way the ones that the French taught them, and just all kinds of things. But the fact, okay, w w w w even without understanding the reasons behind these shifts, we can see how uh, once once they start, they can acquire a, a meaning. If you say if you say your vowels different differently from me, um, that's, that's making a statement, okay? And you can imagine that statement becoming something that's uh, very, very important to, uh, to groups of people. That's uh, kind of, in a nutshell, uh, uh, a possible answer to, to the question of what, what caused the, the great vowel shift. Um, another, another shift that is much more common, this is just, just not in the northern cities, but we're, uh, 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 we're experiencing it today. In fact, this shift is almost over. When, when I, um, uh, so everybody say the, the first two words on the, say the musical note la, so the one after so is la, la. Now say L-A-W. Is it the same or, who, who says it's the same? Okay, uh, all right. So, okay, people are starting to say it the same, la. But uh, what do others say? Law, law, with the lips rounded, all right? The pronunciation law, with the lips, lips rounded, is going away and is, is slowly, slowly being replaced by uh, law. Look at the next two words, P-O-D and P-A-W-E-D. 
Say the first one, P-O-D. Pod. Say the second one. Pod. Same. I can say, okay. Some of you say the same, right? And, some, and, for, and for some of you, it's very distinct. Who has it very distinct? Okay. Say, say the two. Pod. 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 Say the second one again. Pod. Pod. I see rounding on the lips. Okay. That's like cod and caught. Okay, cod and caught, all right? But for, other, for others here, cod and caught would be the way, the way you pronounce it. So the, uh, the, 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 the vowels are changing. Uh, it's uh, cod and caught are like got, got and fought. So uh, uh, the fact is that vowels shift quite a bit. The great vowel shift, of course, is a, you know, in, an enormous thing. Uh, uh, that doesn't happen often. But vowels really do move, move around uh, uh, quite a bit. Would these, uh, these shifts be more likely to occur in smaller populations than the more remote populations are? I think um, like, like, like a virus. They start, they start in a small population, and, and they spread. Some of them spread. But, but then I was thinking that with uh, our current age of you know, the media being in everyone's lives and also that people tend to move around so much more, yeah. um, that perhaps there's a certain, with the much larger population, yeah. there's sort of a buffer against this change, yeah. and it kind of slows it down? That yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, we, we're just beginning to conduct studies to see whether the, uh, with modern communications, this accelerates changes like these, it just spreads them to new parts of the world, or uh, if, if because, because so much communication is by computer rather than spoken, maybe the written language is having more of a stabilizing effect. Okay, people are just beginning to, to, to make studies. And, uh, you, know, you, but you, you can imagine it going both ways. Does the way these vowels are used uh, influence the way your enunciation may be perceived by another person? The, the uh, yeah. Well, when you went through this, for me, my pronunciation of all these words uh, is pretty much the same. La, la, pod, pod. Okay. And from my early age on, I've been accused of not enunciating my words <laughs> uh, well enough. And I'm wondering, is it because of the vowel shift or? Yeah. No, I think, I think that you've probably been enunciating your words just as well as the rest of us, and, and you've, you've settled on your particular vowels, and those are, those are right for you, and, and I don't think it has anything to do with spelling or, uh, or, or anything else. I'd be very surprised I if you were... My verbalization is more evolved. <laughs> uh, uh, after after um, talking about uh, vowels with successive generations of Stanford students, I've really seen over the years how uh, the pronunciation uh, that has la, L-A, and la, L-A-W, which I pronounced differently, has those two pronounced the same, that has steadily grown so that uh, more and more Young people are pronouncing those two vowels the same. Um, most, most changes in pronunciation, most changes in the language originate with young people. 
and this this is this is just happening. So it's not it's not errors in pronunciation or it's not not lack of attention or anything like that. It's a force at work in the language and it's it's spreading. That's all. Well, I was going to ask why, what is the cause of different, um, like like the northern cities, which is not as pronounced as like the, su the south, you know, uh -huh. the south, you can tell somebody's from the south, right. or from, you know, New York or something. Right. How does that happen that those shifts so, happen? All right, so you're, uh, you're, you're in a certain community. And you're talking to the same people every day, your parents, your friends, and so on. It's not a totally closed society because everybody's watching TV and talking on the phone with distant relatives and, and so on. But your everyday linguistic environment, is the, 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 the sounds that you hear the most often are the ones from the people closest to you, so your friends and your family. You all can when uh, you all can decide. I'm I'm sure you can think of cases in in your families where a certain word acquired a, a, a new meaning. All right, you used um, I don't know a term for a body part or a, a term for a holiday or some sort of swear word that was really. Innovative, okay. They wouldn't use use outside of your most familiar context, okay. It just it acquired a meaning for for you within with within your small family unit that it didn't have outside. The same can happen with vowels, with vowels. It can acquire. I mean, it means I'm cool, I'm ahead of the curve, all right, and that can spread from. A, a family to a neighborhood uh, to a whole community, and I think it's that kind of thing that's happening with the with the northern city cities fellowship. I sound I sound like a northern Midwesterner, and I'm proud. Okay, some something like that. All right. Again, it's uh, it, it, it's a little simplistic, but these changes these changes are happening, and I do I do think that. Part of the reason why they spread is because how we talk is not only communicating words and sentences and so on, it's also communicating stuff about who we are. Okay, just like our clothing is, okay, just like all of our behavior is really. All right. Um, there's one more thing, we really have to quit. How do we know? This is the, the, the last question. I think it was Jennifer's the last time. Uh, I did a little work on this, and uh, the, 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 the answer I gave you last time is really, really about as well as uh, scholars have been able to come up with. So we, we compare words that we know are related, but where the long and the short vowels, uh, in the left column we have long vowels, in the right column we have short vowels, and we see that they don't match up in terms of height. How could that happen? Well, it, uh, this sort of... Uh, this sort of uh, correspondence. So E corresponds to F. High vowel corresponds to, uh, to mid, uh, uh, and so on. Those, those kinds of correspondence make sense only if the vowel of one set or the other shifted from their original position. What should be happening is the long vowel E should be uh, 
should correspond to the short vowel i. E should correspond to i. High, long vowel should correspond to high short vowel. They don't. Why not? Well, one step must have shifted. That's one, one set of evidence. The other one is uh, comparing long and short rhyming vowels in Middle English. So Chaucer is the, the, the best example. So the word, for, uh, for the word case, C-A-S-E, cas in Middle English rhymed with Thomas. The A at the end of Thomas was pronounced ah. We say, we say Thomas with a schwa, a reduced vowel. In Middle English, that, that, that vowel was pronounced ah. Uh, again, how do we know? Well, because it appeared in rhymes. The, the difference between uh, this is that cas had a long vowel and Thomas had a short vowel, but, but for the purpose of rhyme, they still rhymed. So we know enough about rhyme to, to know that they, they, uh, they should have been at the same height. But, but this, this long vowel ah, the vowel of nama that became name, this vowel became a, a here too in case. <clears throat> cheer was pronounced uh, chair by hypothesis in Middle English, and it rhymed with manier, manner, which came from the French word manière, okay, which has a vowel eh. So again, by, by rhyme, we're, uh, we're able to tell that this is how uh, cheer should have been pronounced then, in a way that rhymes with manière, and so we get, uh, uh, we get the hypothesis that it was a mid-vowel. That's, uh, that's the only answer I can give for, for, the, uh, for the question, but that's, that's pretty much it. All right, uh, please, for next time, have a look at chapters four and five. Chapter four is about variation in the pronunciation of roots and other morphemes. Chapter five is about pronunciation, basics of phonetics. We'll also talk about how we do word analysis, how do you decide what the root is, and so on. Yeah, question.